Scott Jennings, and today we're talking about Laos, Infrastructure, Means, and Methods. Executive Summary. You're probably reading this or listening to this from America or Canada, somewhere in North America. Have you ever wondered, if you haven't ever been there, what the infrastructure and construction means and methods are like in a smaller, less developed country like Laos? Anywhere else pronounced Lao? And for those who haven't tapped into Google yet to find out where Laos is, it's a landlocked country adjacent to Vietnam to the west in Southeast Asia. Country overview. So Laos is a country of about 8 million people. They speak a language called Lao Sabaidi, which means hello. They speak a language called Lao, which is similar to Thai and nothing like Chinese or Vietnamese. Their currency is called the Kip and about 9,000 Kip to the US dollar. So a coffee and an omelet ran me about 25,000 Kip at my nice guest house, which I stayed at for about a week right after Christmas of 2019 infrastructure overview. So this is meant to be a civil engineering type deal here. So we're going to concentrate on infrastructure and civil engineering. I went to two cities, two towns I should say, Takek and Sino, which are larger than villages and probably best classified as towns. So therein lies my basis for this podcast, if you will, in the article that I wrote and the photos that I attached. If you haven't seen the photos, you should check them out. They're pretty neat. So vehicles and roads. There were scooters, aka motorbikes, Cars, SUVs, and pickups, tuk-tuks, buses, and bicycles, kind of in that order of popularity. I was on a step up from a scooter, but not as much as a motorbike, so kind of in between. I traveled on one of those rented Yamahas, and I probably hit a top speed of about 80 kilometers per hour, which is 50 miles an hour, and that's enough for me. Drivers drive on the right, on the right-hand side of the road, just like in America and Canada. And of the 600 kilometers I drove or so, probably 25% was on dirt, 5% on concrete pavement, and the balance was on asphalt. And a lot of the dirt, not so good. That's where I took a spill. Don't tell my mom. But I got a little banged up there by falling uh, on a dirt road. As far as multi-lane highways in Laos, like your I-95 on the East Coast, your I-5 on the West Coast, your I-70 through the middle of America... No, not around. Not there. Bridges. Every civil engineer loves bridges. This civil engineer is no different. So the vehicular friendship bridge, which crosses the Mekong River from Thailand to Laos, was built in 1994. Wikipedia says it was funded by the Australian government. The neat thing about that, it was a bridge, two lanes, one lane each direction, but because the the two countries... Thailand and Laos drive on opposite sides of the road. Once you got to the Laos side, they did a little, you know, figure eight looking whoop-de-doo and they switched lanes on you so you can get on the correct side of the road once you entered the appropriate country. The Mekong River, which is what this bridge crosses, is where a lot of people, I believe, I don't know the full history, but a lot of people, if you follow the Vietnam War and then what happened after that, a lot of uh, Lao people escaped and became refugees in Thailand down to the Philippines, and they escaped across the Mekong River. You'll see uh, photos in the article. There's one photo there of a pretty modern-looking bridge with no bridge beams, or many of them missing. Well, someone didn't calculate the flood height, and the, a flood took it out, is what the ferry driver told me. You'll also see the ferry, which is sitting in the foreground of the photo, which I was on about five minutes after I took that photo. Anyway, the rural bridges I saw, they were shallow foundation. What a lot of them were were vertical, vertical 
timber pieces with timber knee brace kickers. And the shallow foundations were, you see across the country where they have like those eco blocks, you know, they stack them up to, to hold aggregate, things like that. Take a couple of those eco blocks or maybe pour one about four times the size of an eco block, dig a hole, throw it in said hole, brace off said timber pile and said knee brace, voila, bridge substructure. We did see some more traditional bridges, you know, more, I'll call them Western style bridges, eh, you know, concrete I-beam, concrete deck, concrete barrier. Those were there in rural Laos, but uh, kind of funny because as we're driving our motor scooter, you access the bridge by driving up on five uh, on the flat scaffold planks side by side up to the bridge deck five feet above the grade and then back down on the other side to get back to grade. So there's no way that, uh, you know, any trucks or cars could use the use the bridge because you had to drive up a scaffold plank to get there. I guess the Lao government said, yeah, we'll take your money, we'll take your bridges, but that doesn't mean we're going to, you know, build a adjacent grade, grade to match it. Residential construction uh, saw a lot, a lot of homes with uh, wood siding, thatch roofing, no air conditioning, no windows, everything just kind of free to the world. I did see in my friend's home, her childhood home, kind of, uh, the military, you know, displaced them. But anyway, the, the home she took me to was concrete slab on grade, concrete driveway. Uh, the road leading up to her home, which was quite common, was dirt or grass. You'll also see, too, that a lot of scaffold in Southeast Asia is made out of bamboo. And there's a photo I have of that, too. That was quite common. Water, where I saw water, drinking water I'm talking about, the source at a home. It was usually, say, a deep well with a pump, pumped up the water into the home. In a town, I would see a water tank up on some sort of concrete or um, metal-framed tower. It was just put up there in the air uh, via just held up by a tower. Or in a larger town, I saw a more sophisticated concrete water tank or something larger feeding a town. Wastewater. I should go back to water real quick. So no chlorination that I could tell. So the water wasn't chlorinated. You either had to boil it before you drank it. I think we did in most of the cases, but I'm not sure because I did fine on the trip. No, you know, extended bathroom stays for me. But when I got home, the first night I was home... Uh, everything let loose, at least out of the top end, if you know what I mean, and it kind of all went into a trash can. When I finally caught up with jet lag and uh, got to bed, I it wasn't pretty, but um, between jet lag, loss of sleep, and possibly that water, uh, everything came out. We'll leave it at that. Wastewater. So flushing the toilet. Actually, there was a lot of Western toilets, maybe because those are the places I went, but Western toilets did exist. Toilet paper was flushable, but you had to refill the toilet with a bucket of water out of a, a pot. That's what I had to do. Showers were of the bucket style where you get a bucket of water you pour it over your head, although I was lucky and actually had a shower head with plumbing. I didn't ferret out any uh, wastewater treatment plants. I don't think they exist. I didn't see them. I didn't smell them. But by the same token, I didn't see, you know, poo running down the gutter. I didn't see it being flushed into a stream. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just telling you that I didn't see it. I will tell you, though, in the uh, major airport in Thailand and the Thai Airlines bathroom there in the lounge. No toilet paper allowed, so they're still falling a little behind in the in Thailand on getting toilet paper through the system. Dams? Well, damn it, I didn't get to one. You see what I did there? Anyway, um, I know little of history of dams in Laos, but I know that I did see a movie called The Rocket, 
And I did see when I went through the country that dams are a big deal there. Water control and ownership of the water, damming it for, I presume, irrigation and power is a big deal. And if you watch that movie, The Rocket, you'll see that um, control of water and displacing the people was a big deal there. And I don't think it's a very uh, happy subject for the Lao people. My story, my story is I'm sure you're wondering what, why, and how Laos for me. Why did I choose it? Having lived in Hawaii for almost 19 years, if you haven't been to Hawaii, it's a melting pot of Asia and America. A lot of people from the Far East are there, Southeast Asia. I mean, you've got all sorts of countries represented in Hawaii. I learned about the Lao culture uh, and its people while I was in Hawaii. I now speak a little bit of Lao. Koi wa pasa Lao noi nung. Joy dai ba, jiao dai ba. That is, I speak a little bit of Lao. Can you? From a civil engineering perspective, I assume that Takek and Sino represented the Lao version of every town USA. By American standards, these towns are poor, underdeveloped, and 100 years behind us in their development. But, you know, after having been to this area of the world more than once, you know, I find no inadequacy in the level of infrastructure here as it's wholly functional for the people. People in North America may say the Lao people, quote-unquote, know no better infrastructure. Well, that's an arrogant statement. You know, what the Lao people have there serves their purpose. You know, once they grow to millions of more people, have more people needing roads, needing, um, you know, just better water systems, better wastewater systems, then I'm sure they're going to have to upgrade to keep up with the people. But for now, it's serving the purpose, and I had no, no problems there. Thanks for listening to this separate special edition of my trip to Laos. We're safe. We'll be right back.